You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the spirits to be with us. So I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those people that walked the land here on this earth and met the challenges of their day, the challenges of their time. I call out to those people that bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our lineage to us. I call out to those people who lived well and died well and who are prepared at this time to function truly as ancestral helping spirits, to show up here for the living so that the living are supported in doing what they have come here to do. For we have a task, which is to create a world for those who are coming. We ask these ancestors to stand behind us strong and true and help us to learn from their mistakes. Help us to do what needs to be done differently in a way that truly is different. And help us to hold on to that which is right and true and has continued throughout the ages, throughout the generations, to matter most deeply to humans. So we ask these ancestors to help us to know where to continue and where to innovate and change. And to do this in a way that we serve something bigger than ourselves, which is the need now to be the new people that create a truly new story for a new world for those who are coming. And so ancestors help us here today, stand round, whisper in our ears, help us to do better. And with the ancestors gathered round in great gratitude for their presence, let us focus our awareness on our own energy and draw it into our heads and focus from our heads to our hearts, from our hearts down to our bellies. And from our bellies, let's reach out to touch the earth, the being the Great Mother. We touch the earth and we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life in its magnificent presentation to the face of this planet, in its great diversity, its many, many expressions of beauty. We call out to the earth to hear our gratitude for this day, for our life, for all that has been in our life that has brought us to this moment, for all that is and all that will be. We give thanks to the earth and we give thanks for that generosity in this dream that allows us to learn, that allows us to make choices and learn from the results of those choices, allows us to grow and to change and even to reach out into the other world for true transformation. This is great generosity in this dreaming that we can be so malleable and flexible and adaptable and changeable. So we give thanks to this part of the dream and take a moment and just stand in complete wonder for the actual miracle of life. And may we live in a way today that honors the fact that we carry a piece of that miracle. So with gratitude in our hearts for all of these things and so much more, let us reach down into the earth through all the layers of the earth, reaching all the way to the very center of the earth, into this essential energy that restores, renews, and replenishes. We reach into this silence and stillness, darkness, into this place of solitude. And we draw this energy up, up through all the layers of the earth, up into our body. And may we draw on the energy of the earth to inform us how to be grounded, to stay connected to the center of the earth and choose in our life to live in a way that is grounded, to live in a way that supports our capacity to nourish our own energy body, to have good boundaries and to function in the world in a way that supports others. May we use this energy of the earth to help us to create a sense of hearth and home and belonging and to do so in a way that opens the door and sets a place at the table for the other, that we might welcome in those who are different than we are, 
for the only way we will do what needs to be done at this time is through our hearts together. And we must open to the diversity around us so that the diversity itself can provoke us to become the men and women we've truly come here to be. And we call out to the energy of the earth to help us to understand connection, connection with ourself, connection with others, connection with the environment, and connection with the spirit world. And we ask the energy of the earth to bless us in this day, perhaps with a moment, a moment of feeling the true oneness of all things. And may we come into right relationship with ourself from this sense of our place, connected and one with everything. And so with the energy of the earth within us and moving in us, let us, draw, let us draw it up from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our mind and send our energy up and out, out through the sky, whatever weather it holds for you at this time, out through the weather, through the atmosphere and out in the cosmos, reaching all the way up, all the way to the very highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, Humans have named it so many different names, and the names don't matter. Reach to the essence of this energy, call it whatever it is that you call it, and draw it down. Knowing it in you and you in it, we call down this essential energy into our life that brings blessing, that brings protection, that brings the generosity and devotion and commitment into our lives and we call in this energy for inspiration and illumination and we call this energy in that we might be blessed by all the wisdom of the cosmos and we draw this energy in through the layers of the sky into our head and our heart and our belly sending it down to the center of the earth and in this way we open ourselves to be the meeting place the merging place the union of the earth and sky of the yin and yang, these two great legendary lovers. And in this big love that is the nature of these energies together, may our hearts be awakened and may the spirit of the heart take note. May it wake up to what we are doing here today and open the crucible of the heart that it can draw up the fiery passions of the belly that have some sense of why it is that we are here and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind that has the task of understanding how we will do this in our time. And we let those energies dance together in the heart until they give birth to that third and most sacred thing you carry in your life, which is your memory of why you are here and thus the gifts you are to bring to the world. And may you find in your heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring your gifts into manifestation in the world. So with all of this spirit help gathered around us here today, I give great thanks. I also give thanks to the people that are generous enough with their finances to help me pay the bills to keep the show on the air, live, and free. We have now going on six years of shows in the archives that are available to anybody in the world who can get on the internet. And this is a gift. And you all help me give this gift to humanity. So I give thanks to Indrek and Jessica and those other listeners that have been able to help me financially. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com and click the support button. Donate any amount, large or small, um, in any currency. We're happy all of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And if you can't donate, understand there are many ways that grow the show. Uh, connecting to it through your um, social networking, um, sharing, sharing the ideas, bringing the ideas to your journey circles, living them yourself, and sharing with me the questions that arise as you live in this way in the world. Sharing with me the ideas you have for show topics because it seems to be an arena for you that hasn't yet been explored. So I ask you to do something in some way, large or small, to help the show to grow if the show has moved you in some way. So if you are moved in your heart to ex excitement or irritation, it doesn't really matter. The point is you've been moved in the heart. And this is the most essential of shamanic acts is to let our heart energies motivate our actions in the world. And so do something. And I thank you for it. I also like to give great gratitude for our guest here today, Sparrowheart. Thank you for joining us again, Sparrow. 
Ah, you're welcome. It's good to be here. And thanks for that great uh, invocation and blessing. So Sparrow's joining us uh, because of where we left off our last conversation. Um, And so today we're going to be talking about adulthood and perhaps what it takes for a contemporary Western-minded person to actually enter, cross that threshold and enter into adulthood. But before we get there, for those of you that don't know, uh, Sparrow is the founder of Circles of Air, Circles of Stone. Um, which offers a lot of different um, transformational classes and training, but in particular, a series of vision quests um, in different places. And for those of you that keep emailing me to ask who to do vision quests with, Sparrow is one of the two people that I suggest. So just go there if that's what you're interested in. And his quests are in the American Southwest, in New England, and Mexico. He is also the author of Letters to the River, and this is what we talked about on our last show. Um, But keep in mind, it's a relatively new book, Letters to the River, A Guide to to a Dream Worth Living. So Sparrow undertook his first wilderness rite of passage in 1971, And this was a five-month solo pilgrimage in the Cascades and Canadian Rockies and enacted his first vision quest in 1980. And then after the completion of his training at the School of Lost Borders with Stephen uh, Foster and Meredith Little, he began leading quests and is now leading six to eight quests per year um, in Vermont and the American Southwest. So he is a father, a writer, the creator of the Mythic Warrior Training and a founder of the annual Men's Wisdom Council at Roe conference center and he is a frequent workshop leader around the country his work is firmly rooted in the tradition of joining earth and sky bringing spiritual life out of the heavens and into the nitty-gritty issues we face daily task dear to my heart (laughs) and affirming the sacredness of emotional imaginative and sensual landscapes we travel in our individual soul journeys His work comes out of his own experience. His personal journey includes a wide range of shamanic practices, apprenticeship with a Native American teacher, Sunbear, dream exploration, 12-step psychodrama inner child work, and a long immersion in the Toltec and Castaneda tradition. So for those of you who'd like to contact um, us or ask questions about the show, you can email Sparrow directly at sparrow at together.net. Or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. We're not live today, but we certainly would be happy to answer your questions if you wanted to email them to us. Now, if you want to find out more about Sparrow's work and his teaching and when you can go off and do a vision quest this year, you can go to questforvision.com. Quest for, F-O-R, vision.com. And then you can also go to um, Circles There, Circles of Stone. Isn't that also its own site, Sparrow? Well, cir- Circles of Air, Circles of Stone is just the, the name of, of the, the business that I do. But the, the website is www.questforvision.com, like you said. So okay. that would be, so either that or the email address would be the way to get a hold of me. Beautiful. So, so last time we spoke, we were talking about Letters to the River, A Guide to a Dream Worth Living. And we kind of ended that conversation with the question, you know, what will it take for men and women to return from their respective circles and respective retreats and respective wisdom schools and begin to seriously work together to create a world our descendants will be happy and proud to inherit? And, you know, I see that as a huge task um, given where we are at this time on the planet. And your response to that was that you'd be happy to come back to the show and talk about becoming adults. So here we are. Okay. <laughs> That's how we got here. Okay. Um, that... So, right. um, so it, it, from your work and from your own experience in life, what does make or define someone as an adult? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the answer that I want to give um, maybe requires a little bit of background, because I want to speak about the adult um, kind of through the lens of a medicine wheel teaching called the Four Shields. And I, I know you're probably familiar with this term medicine wheel and medicine wheel teachings, but uh, I don't know if everyone who's listening is. But um, um, on the one hand, medicine wheels were uh, actual physical structures that um, 
you know, uh, circles of stones array, arranged in a particular uh, configuration. You know, a big famous one would be something like Stonehenge, but uh, but there's many thousands of them spread all throughout North America, basically, uh, and they're circles of stone with basically some kind of a center. It might be a large rock or a fire ring. And then the center is connected to the outer circle of stones, usually by these lines of stones or spokes, most commonly aligned with the four cardinal directions. And, and this, uh, these medicine wheels were, could be many things. They were obviously a, a sacred and a ritual space. They were, could be used as an altar, but they were also used as a teaching tool for the teachings of the four directions. Now, in... So in this context, is you have the circle and the four directions, south, west, north, and east. But those directions were also associated with the times of the day, morning, midday, evening, night, the times of the year, spring, summer, fall, winter. And those directions were also associated with the times of a person's life. So south, the, um, the direction when the sun is high in the sky, that's the direction of summer, but it's also the shield of childhood. When, you know, summer's a time when things grow rapidly. The west, the time of the setting sun or evening, was the, the shield of adolescence. And the north, winter and nighttime, was the shield of adulthood. So that question of what makes up an adult is what I want to... I want to speak about adulthood as like a... It's almost like a constellation of energy within within the four directions which make up a whole human being so so one of the the images that i've that i've come up with is um it's not like adulthood is better than childhood or it's not like an adult is in some sense a, a superior or higher form than childhood it's it's just that it contains a different kind of energy and and the way i look at it is you know, consider a whole human being as like, imagine a stool with four solid legs, you know. And if every one of those legs is solid and the same length, then the stool works really well. It'll hold you up, you'll be balanced, you know, it, it functions. But if any one of those legs is a whole lot shorter than all the rest, or the converse, a whole lot longer than all the rest, then the stool is really out of balance. And so... So in our previous discussion, you know, the struggle is that generally for people in our culture, that leg of the stool, the, the adult leg, is usually pretty damn short, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, you know, the, generally the culture as a whole is pretty much stuck in childhood. And, um, you know, so that's generally a really long leg of the stool. And again, it's not to put down or, or in, in any way diminish childhood energy. That's, a, that's our vibrant, alive, uh, emotional, sensual, passionate part of ourselves. But it's also the part of ourselves that is totally focused around me. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Me. Yeah. And, and so because that's what a child's world is. It is dynamic and passionate and full of desire and you know, and physicality and sensuality and curiosity, but a child's world just revolves around him or herself, you know? So, and people who, and uh, people who study uh, child development say that initially the infant doesn't even distinguish there's anything other than him or her in the world. You know, the infant getting the breast thinks that's all part of me. And, mm-hmm. and then as we grow, we learn there are other... <laughs> There's actually other people, other sources of energy, other things in the world. But, but anyway, child psychology essentially is, uh, is a world focused around me. If you give me what I want, uh, you're my friend, and I like you. If you don't give me what I want, you're mean and I hate you. <laughs> That's child psychology. And, but, um, you know, when we look at it in a child, we can think it's, you know, it's, it's cute, and that's the way children are. But uh, when we look at it, you know, played out um, as adults, you know, it gets labeled 
self-absorbed, narcissistic, um, materialistic. You know, the, the healthy love of the physical, sensual world in a child, if, that's, if it doesn't develop past that into, into the shields of the West and the adolescence and adulthood, that just becomes materialism. Life is about getting more stuff, more physical things. Um, and that kind of uh, that self-absorbedness, you know, we describe as narcissism or, you know, or egotism. But it also plays out, obviously, you know, you know we've all heard the words, our national self-interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you give us what we want, your resources, bases, shipping lanes, you're our friend and ally. If you don't, we're going to take you down with bombs and bullets. And mm-hmm. uh, it's very much kind of a sandbox. You know, kids playing in the sandbox. You know, you take my truck, I grab it back, and I whack you over the head. And... and <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's funny, except when Ronald Reagan does it to Granada or Nicaragua, yeah, it's, yeah. Panama, it's not so funny, you know, no. when he says, you can't do this in our backyard. Wait, our backyard? I thought it was their country. <laughs> so, so, Well, anyway. and that whole aspect of, of, of parenting a child is, you know, meeting a child's needs progressively as the child grows in such a way that the child learns to meet their needs themselves mm-hmm. versus this, this idea of just growing up, assuming the world is here to meet your needs. Right. And if it doesn't, you're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and part of it is, uh, part of it is to be honest, is that one of the reasons where, I mean, there's a couple reasons why we tend to get stuck in childhood. One is that, um, the culture itself focuses on childhood, you know. Um, you know, it's just like you, it doesn't matter if you're um, 50 or 70 or 80, uh, everybody wants to look like a 20-year-old. And, they, you know, they dye their hair, they erase their wrinkles. They, it's like the, the ideal of perfection is basically uh, essentially a very young, nubile, childlike body. Um, I mean, the culture pretty much promotes the ideal of um, competition, which is I beat out you, so I get, get what I want and you don't. And um, so part of the reason we get stuck is just that's what the culture promotes, stuck in mm-hmm. childhood. But, but the other reason many people get stuck in childhood is because their basic childhood needs don't get met. Mm-hmm. So in, in the medicine wheel teaching of the South of childhood, there are two lessons that, um, in those teachings, two lessons we need to learn to have a healthy, well-functioning childhood energy, and those lessons are trust and innocence. And trust is this sense that, oh, the world is a safe place to be, and innocence is this sense of who I am, my core impulses are good. So trust Mm -hmm. is about the world, and innocence is about the self. And, you know, innocence... uh, you know, so as as we know, many, many people have their trust severely violated, child abuse, neglect, neglect, sexual abuse, whatever. So many of us just haven't learned, or we've only partially learned the lessons of trust and the lesson of innocence, that who I am is good. Again, whether it's, whether it's abusive parents telling their, telling or showing their kids that they don't matter, or whether it's religions that um, that start with original sin, you know, uh, one of the things I often say when I'm doing these medicine wheel teachings is, is I say, well, if the second lesson of childhood is about innocence, it's hard to get there if you start from original sin, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like the impossible journey. Yeah, 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 it's like there's no road from original sin to innocence. And so, so anyway, so the second reason is... Um, then a lot of our childhood needs just don't get met. And so, so all of a sudden we grow up and we're 10 or 20 or 30 or 40, and we're still trying to meet them. Yeah. We haven't, they've never been met, so, so we haven't moved beyond them. So we're still playing them out with, you know, with uh, fast cars and, you know, a thousand pairs of shoes and, and <laughs> whatever else we can, we can, we can try, uh, try and buy or, or, or used to fill that hole. So, 
so anyway, that's kind of a long-winded answer of, of about why we're stuck in childhood and don't oftentimes don't arrive in adulthood. But uh, so we we kind of come by it honestly, given the the biases in our culture and and in those biases, the the failure of our culture to show up for the the souls of its people. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, where we, I think where we left kind of in our last conversation is, uh, you know, kind of like, why is it so hard? I mean, uh, I'm sure you have the experience in your work, and I certainly have it in mine, leading vision quests and things. People come, and they have these extraordinary experiences of connecting with the sacred, connecting with a larger vision of the world and the universe and themselves, and a you know, really um, ex- being in loving, supportive communities. And and then that experience is over, and we go back into our lives in the middle of a culture which is going in 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction. And what do we do? Yeah. And, and a culture who, um, you know, often not only doesn't recognize adulthood, but where there are very few, there's actually very few mature adults in Western culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just not there. So, so I guess the, the, you know, the kind of maybe the second part is, I mean, so far I've talked a lot about being stuck in childhood, but I think maybe your, your original question was about what is an adult? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is the challenge, I think, um, there's certainly a growing awareness in adults and especially young adults who are having children of this desire to create a kind of initiation into adulthood for their children that they didn't have. Yeah. You know, the, the problem with that is the very context for that working in, in, an, in a pre, you know, pre-contact indigenous culture is that there's a clear definition of what it means to be an adult. And, and so once the child passes through that gate, however arduous that passing is, you know, they arrive, they get their new name, they're now treated as adult, but they actually know what that means. (laughs) And they see people around them doing their best to do it. And the culture shares the values of this is childhood and this is adulthood. And we share this value and we, these values and we support each other in living these values. And that's really the, the big challenge of, getting this, you know, how do we tend the gate of initiation into adulthood uh, again, anew, in, in the culture that we're in? Well, the big challenge is, is the definition of adult so that we actually give the children some clarity about what it is on the other side. When everywhere around them they look, it's rare to see someone functioning as an adult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're so right. And that, yeah, and, and, and the, the, those two parts. One is what does it mean to be an adult? And and <laughs> they want to create some initiatory experience for their kids, but and then what adult community are they going to join? Exactly. There isn't one. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how many times people have called me up, whether it's been uh, both parents or a father or mother, and said, oh, I want to do some rite, rite of passage for my 14-year-old, or I want to do this for my kids, and... Uh, and you know, can can my son go on a vision quest? He's fourteen, and um, usually the answer, and I'm I, I'm usually not this blunt, but usually what I'm thinking is, it's you that needs to go on the vision quest, right? Not, not your son, not your daughter, you know, whatever. Um, because because oh, you know, no, if a, if a adolescent or some young man or young woman goes through through some rite of passage. And then he comes home and looks around, and the adults in his house are uh, going off to work eight hours a day, then coming home and uh, eating fast food and watching The Bachelorette for the evening. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that the adult community you want to join? No. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so, my so, experience is nothing triggers parents into their worst possible behavior quicker than their children actually learning the skills of becoming an adult. (laughs) Oh yeah. Their child starts acting more mature than they do and they just, they just flip out. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so, so, so what would be your kind of stab at this idea of what, 
what are the qualities perhaps that define a person who is endeavoring to the best of their ability to live as an adult in their life, you know, okay. regardless of what their culture says? Yeah. Well, in, um, in the medicine wheel teaching that I was talking about, the four shields, and that's one that I teach to everyone who's going on a vision quest, the, the two lessons, uh, shall we say, uh, that need to be learned in adulthood. There's one is the first lesson is the lesson of wisdom, and I realize that needs to be explained a little bit. But the, and the second lesson is the lesson of the giveaway. So, so I want to just maybe I'll start by just um, making a general statement: is that in the child's awareness, the world revolves around me, and what makes a child happy is what am I going to get. You know, but the awareness of the adult is much. What makes an adult is a much broader awareness of that. It's an awareness of his or her participating in, as as you just said a few minutes ago, something larger than him or herself. So, um, you know, there's a among the Cheyenne. There's a um, there's a set of teachings called Sweet Medicine and. I'm sure you've heard some version of this, but it goes like um, the grass grows. The deer come along and eat the grass, and thereby the deer live and grow. The hunter comes along and kills the deer, and thereby the hunter and the hunter's people live and grow. The hunter and hunter's people die. They're buried in the ground. The grass feeds off the hunter and the hunter's people. So there's this larger cycle where... The grass gives away to the deer, the deer gives away to the people, the people give away back to the grass. This much larger cycle of, you know, ultimately it's the whole living earth and, you know, and, and, and the whole universe we live in, spiritual, psychic, material, all of it. The sense of, ah, everything is giving away to the next. So what makes, one of the things that makes an adult is he or she sees him or herself within that larger giving cycle. And so, so, the, so that then the role isn't about what do I get? The role is how can I feed the larger circle? And as I feed the larger circle, the whole circle becomes healthier and thereby feeds me. So, mm-hmm. so it's a cycle, it's, called, you know, it's the cycle of the giveaway. And so, um, on a vision quest, one of the ways, um, this gets um, put into, uh, you know, given to an individual is after a vision quest. There's a traditional question is, what gift do you have to give to your people? So that's the traditional vision quest question, but it's really two questions. The first one is, what is your gift? And what that means is, what is it that is unique to you, or what is your passion? Or as Joseph Campbell would say, follow your bliss. What's your bliss? And so, um, so your gift isn't about sacrificing yourself or doing something you don't want to, you know, send your kids to college. Your gift is about really embodying yourself fully. So, so if, if in your heart of hearts who you are is a poet, that's what you give to your people. If, if, in your, if in your, at your core your authentic voice is uh, you're a musician or it's music, that's what you give to people. If you're... A shamanic teacher, that's what you give to your people. So, so first of all, the first question is, what's your gift? What is it that brings you alive, that you're passionate about, which is an ultimate expression of you, your individuality and uniqueness? And so that's what, that's what you should give in your giveaway. But then there's the second question of, who are your people? Now, in, in a tribal situation, the answer to that was pretty easy and obvious. They're my tribe, you know, mm-hmm. and it might, because it, it was a small group, might have a hundred people in it. But in, in a culture like today, it's, we have to answer it for ourselves. So uh, one, one, one person on a vision quest might say, my people are my husband and my children. Another person might say, my people are any, anyone working for justice. Somebody else might say anyone in recovery, you know, from addiction. Somebody else might say anyone working for the healing of the earth. So, 
so in some sense, we, we have a little extra task today. We can't just say, oh, my people are my are obvious. There's a hundred other folks who are camped out in this big circle here. But today we have to, you know, f- f- uh, name who our people are and give our gifts there. But if we do, we'll be giving our giveaway. You know, we'll be contributing whatever it is, our music, our poetry, poetry our teaching, our mentoring, our or, you know, our writing, or, um, so that's the giveaway, but it, it, it requires this having a larger vision of the whole circle and, and then contributing one's gifts to that large circle. So that's, that's one of the things that defines an adult is, is the lesson of the giveaway, that an adult is someone who sees a larger circle and then his or her focus is about what can I give, what can I contribute you know, um, and the second thing that really, um, in this medicine we're teaching, divide, uh, you know, um, defines an adult is what's called wisdom. And wisdom ultimately is about the right use of energy. Um, in um, in twelve steps, they have the serenity prayer. You know. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's essentially saying wisdom is about knowing where our efforts and where our, 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 our attention, knowing where it will actually make a difference. Because obviously if, if we're giving a lot of our attention and energy to things that can't be changed, whether that be our past you know, if you know, and and you and I have both met people, you know, many people in our lives, and I can even say I was this person for 20 years. Of, you know, my mother did this to me, my father didn't do that, my, and, uh, um, all of that victim stuff. I mean, it's you know, it, it may be a valid um, phase to go through, but as long as we're doing that, we're giving our attention and energy to these things that can't be changed. You know, I can't change that my father hit me or beat me. I can't change that. Then I'm not being an adult. Uh, so an adult, see, you know, takes the situation the way it is. Oh, my father did do this. My mother do, did do that. And because of that, I have whatever it is, severe issues of uh, around self-esteem. I have uh, a lot of fear when I get in public situations. So... So that's the situation as it is today, and then what am I going to do about it? That becomes the the only relevant question. You know, as long as I keep focusing on them and what they did, or other things that I have no control of, as long as I give oh, Obama, you know, <laughs> responsibility for, you know, creating justice in the world, then, you know, it's it's uh, I'm not being an adult. So it's just like... Looking at the situation the way it is, with you know the resources I have, the full baskets, you know the gifts and talents I do have, and the empty baskets, the places I've been wounded, the 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 places where I get stuck and don't work work well. If, if I look at that the way it is, and then say, and given all that, here's what I what I'm going to do to make a change to make it better, then I'm acting like an adult, you know. Mm-hmm. Or if I look, or if I look at my, if I look at, you know, that that would be an example in the inner world, you know, my wounds, my my playing a victim. But it, it also would work the same in the outer world, you know, you know, how many people do we know that you know complain about their spouses or whatever endlessly, and um, and rather than saying, okay, this is the situation the way it is, you know. He does this, she does that. I have these judgments. I put, what am I going to do about it? And am I going to go to therapy? Am I going to end the relationship? Am I going to? So an adult is, is one who kind of, um, I would say for, for children and adolescents, they, they see themselves at the effect end of the cause and effect chain. And, and they are, you know. Children get whatever they're given. They live in the neighborhood their parents pick. They live, you know, whatever religion their parents are, they are. But 
the uh, the movement to an adult is is like the the willingness to say no. I'm at the cause end of this, and even though there may be a lot of situations and circumstances I don't like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really clear about what they are and start to act in a way to change them for the better. So, so so the second lesson of adulthood is is really about the right use of energy and and putting your energy in those places where it can actually make a difference as opposed to just continuing to complain or give responsibility to others. Or doing the same action over and over and over again when you already know it doesn't get you where you're trying to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. <laughs> that, that common yeah. definition of insanity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking of this woman that I, I was working with yesterday who's, you know, she's she's got all the right adult the perspective she wants to create this sustainable business it's green it's political you know all all she's really concerned about justice and all the right big awareness mm-hmm. and yet her action is always precisely the same she just leaps full frontal right at whatever the problem is and just kind of goes splat on the wall and slides down <laughs> You know, it's like she's just always energetic roadkill because there's no wisdom. It's right. The big picture is there, but the wisdom or the cleverness. And, and what was interesting with her is uh, repeatedly in all parts of her uh, response from spirit was the same message again and again, which is be clever. Mm-hmm. Look, you know, look for the place where there is a weak link, you know, undermine something, let it collapse of its own weight and then be prepared with the response that others can rise to. But stop this action you've been doing again and again and again. And that action of throwing herself at the problem completely with just because they're wrong and she's right is another expression of that they're the problem out there. Mm-hmm. That that. This this whole thing is wrong, and it has to get fixed right now. It's like, well, not really. You can just kind of go over here and create your own world, and eventually people will go, wow, she's having more fun over there. I'm going to go play with her, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was really, you know, spirit coming back to her again and again and saying, one of your gifts is your intelligence, you know, uh-huh. you, you, but you've used it to have this big picture, but you can't see any other way to act other than this one thing. And you need uh-huh. to now use your intelligence to be clever to understand actions that will actually bear fruit. And yeah. she was just gobstruck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, and, and oh, right yeah. use of power. Hmm, right use of my energy. Hmm, to do this, I guess I actually need to now deal with my food, deal with my exercise, deal, you know, deal with all the things that go to choosing to be responsible towards my own energy. Yeah, and and you know it's certainly as you describe her. What immediately comes to mind is, I'm sure you've heard this saying before. Um, what's more important, being right or being happy? Yeah, you know? <laughs> and you know, and I'm right. Therefore, therefore, I keep doing these self-destructive or destructive things. Or I'm right. Therefore, I keep I keep running headfirst into the tank. You know, it's just yeah. Um, like how many lifetimes is your head going to be the head on the pike of the bad guys who are still yeah. in the castle? Like <laughs> you know? um, God, yeah. Okay, so okay, so we have wisdom and right use of energy. That this ability, this capacity to see this bigger vision, and mm-hmm. the willingness to commit to that as reality and not collapsing out of that and. Like you said, watching TV and eating eating chips, yeah. <laughs> and 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 participating in life um, from this sense of what am I here to give and who am I here to give it to, or who yeah. is here for me to give it to, and um, and and believing in that as reality, mm-hmm. yeah. um, not just something I do every summer on the week I go up the hill with, with the men or go to the wisdom school with the women, but this is how I choose to live. This is how I choose to approach my challenges at work with my teenage kids or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, you threw in that, (laughs) that always very crucial and dangerous and ambiguous word reality 
mm-hmm. know, just, but it's but you know it's um there is yeah that realizing oh there is no objective out there gold standard reality mm-hmm. you know? that i live in the reality that i cultivate i live in the reality i've prepared my mind to see yeah you know and yeah, and um, and as 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 we said, for a huge part of culture, the reality is that the purpose of life is to compete against everyone else, and then beat them out so you get to buy more stuff. That's reality for a lot of people, and you know, and and you know, and I think in our last conversation, you know, about the book, uh, you know, the, a guide to a dream worth living. The question is, is that the dream you want to pursue? The yeah. dream of your life is just competing against people so you can buy more stuff. Yeah. And yeah. And 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 saying that, you know, whatever your dream is, that's your reality. And so can you yeah, can you, I, the people we work with, the culture as a whole, commit to something bigger than that. Yeah. Know, something you know, a dream that actually uh inspires us, a dream that makes us feel uh, a joy when we wake up in the morning to be alive on the beautiful earth, and a dream that connects us to others rather than has us pull away or judge or put them down. So, you the know, reality, we, oh, oh, no, anyway, what you were, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, and when we see things in separation from this, this, you know, fundamental idea of separation, then we see that dream over here, and then we walk out the front door, and we, and that dream crashes because. We, we see that that dream is somehow separate from this outer world I have to participate in if I want to pay my mortgage. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, one of the things I've been really shifting right now as I'm just really challenging myself to be a Taoist <laughs> and to live mm-hmm. from this oneness is that this culture of mine is the raw material for the reality that I am participating in. And mm-hmm. it and it's not either or. It is essentially my resources. The, these are the resources I have to draw on. And if we're going to create a new world, we will cannibalize the old world because it's just like the people feeding the grass. Mm-hmm. And the grass feeding the deer and the deer feeding the people is this world, the one we're frustrated with, is the raw material for the new world. It's not either or. That mm-hmm. it's the cycle of life and this is – this is the one we chose to be born into, so let's start being more creative. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's one other thing I did want to talk about, though. Okay. Um, so I'm going to start with this little story. <laughs> um, it sounds a little bit like a sexist story, but I'm just going to tell the real story because I think it works either way. So mm-hmm. if you can flip the genders in it, it still works. But anyway, several years ago, I was um, in a three-year training with an indigenous shaman. And frankly, because the shaman was a man, there were a lot of men in this group. Men. I mean, there's all the women that always show up at these things, but then an equal amount of men. So it was a very interesting group. And I was one night talking uh, with a man at dinner about his men's work because he was really enthusiastic about it and he really loved it. And, it, and he was very passionate about it. So he's telling me this story and I'm, I'm, I, and I'm asking him just obvious questions that, that I would ask about, you know, what are you doing? How did it, you know, how's it changing you? This and that. And what became clear to me is he was really happy with the fact. I mean, this was what was most satisfying to him is he went up onto that mountain to the same place with the same men and did the exact same thing every year. Mm-hmm. And that the only evolution was you went from being, you know, a new person to a quote unquote elder who, who sort of knew what was going to happen. And you mentored the younger men in that. But that it didn't change how he functioned in his life mm-hmm. and that he was okay with that. And that was the part I, I kept tripping over. And, you know, and I understand there's enormous value of, in ceremony that we're deeply hungry for, which is that repetition and the familiarity that comes from these experiencing spiritual work together that repeats again and again and there's this home there and it's beautiful granted Mm -hmm. and there's value time in community and certainly value time spent in nature so it's not like I'm not getting the obvious payoff of this time but I was shocked and frankly became kind of irritated which is my issue but anyway I became really (laughs) irritated that he was totally content with the fact that it wasn't changing how he was parenting his daughter there was no connection. It was not changing the fact that he had a terrible relationship with his wife. 
Mm-hmm. It had no impact there. And, and I, I found myself really struggling. And, and it takes me back just with the particular timing of my life of being a child in the 60s. So I don't really understand what's going on, but all that energy is influencing me. Right, because it's this crazy energy soup that my little body is growing up in, and 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 there's all this belief in the '60s and '70s that you know that this was going to be different, and that men and women were going into their encounter groups. And I'm freaking over fifty now, and we're not yet talking to each other. You know, I was just like, I was really having this little sort of personal meltdown over this. Is what is it going to take to? to draw the richness out of this time on the mountain and in this time in these wisdom circles and come together better in a way that does begin to create a new culture, a different mm-hmm. culture. And that's my whole little fit about it. But it seems to me it connects with one of the other things that we've talked about is this kind of unwillingness to look at our shadow. because. Uh-huh, yeah. Any spiritual work can be done with a big spiritual bypass. (laughs) So that's kind of my question is about this sort of how do we how do we address this unwillingness to look at the shadow? Because I I don't think we can be adults if we still cower there and chicken out. Yeah, and um, I think you know I you know this is like a huge topic, and we could easily go on forever on this, but I want to at least kind of bring it back to the story you told about um, whatever this guy mm-hmm. who is. Um, and, and what I want to say is that, you know, in, in terms of facing our shadow, I know for me, um, my, shadow, my shadow is different, you know, today than it was when I was 35. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just my life has evolved, and... Um, Certainly, in the uh, in the in in some of the teachings that I really have apprenticed myself to, you know, in terms of the heroic journey, the heroic journey is always about stepping out of your comfort zone to face the unknown. Now, it sounds like this man has found a real comfort zone in <laughs> in 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 doing something, which probably the first time he did it was way out of his comfort zone. It yeah. was probably. It was probably like new, and all of a sudden they were doing these processes he'd never done it before, never done before, and da 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 da. And but you know, and because it made such a big difference or was uh, such a big opening in his life, he's gone back again and again. And but now it sounds like he's just in his comfort zone within mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And and that's always one of the dangers, you know. I mean, it's, you know, again, it's, it's like a version of, oh, you know, um, you know, people get totally opened by some kind of transcendent experience. Maybe they, whatever, have a, um, maybe they're Christian and they have this, this uh, epiphany where Christ speaks to them and da-da-da. But if, if then, from then on, they just go around uh, proselytizing, saying, you need to do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. It's like, uh, sorry, uh, but but yeah. There's, I I think what I hear in that is this person has found his comfort zone, but the leading edge is always about the unknown is just always at least one step beyond your comfort zone. I know, um, and for me, uh, well, uh, I, I want to say two more things. I want to say for me, I've had to confront that in terms of vision quests. You know, I did my first vision quest in 1980, and certainly, you know, going up on into the wilderness and being on top of a mountain and having, you know, no food for four days and nights was a big step outside of my comfort zone, and it, and it is for virtually everyone who hasn't done it before. And so, but here, here I am. It's um, it's not 1980 anymore. It's 2014. And now I have done, myself, have done like over 30 vision quests. You know, I could walk out into the wilderness and go four days fasting and punt. It's mm-hmm. so, you know, it's such an easy, it's so easy and comforting to me now. So mm-hmm. every year I have to really just kind of, you know, hunker down and saying, yeah, and what is it now that mm-hmm. I need to, that I need to face? And, and believe me, I, 
at the age I am now, you know, having done my first vision quest when I was 31, now I'm, oh, the issues I need to face are more about, oh, you know, who am I when my body starts to fall apart? Or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what is it now in the balance between maybe the legacy I want to the legacy I want to leave versus, oh, the time left of, you know, uh, how much contact do I want to have with my daughter or a partner? Or mm-hmm. How much how much of my work, work, I mean, I love my work, and it's really sustained me for, you know, 30 years, but it's like, do I want to go to age 90 and be a workaholic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> workaholic around a wonderful spiritual work? And it's yeah. just like, oh. so So anyway, the the edge of the unknown is so different today than it was, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but, you know, and, and the last thing I want to say to that is, um, you know, and I, I you know, I, I've said this, you know, uh, hundreds of times to people leaving on Vision Quest and to say, all right, you came here determined to go out in the wilderness and fast. You came here, you, you left behind your, your home, your social definition, your, your schedule. You, you left behind showers and comfort and getting fed. And, and, and so your total, you know, what is your intent? How do you want to live on those four days? And, so, and people do a ton of work to focus on that, and they write letters of intention, and they create whole series of rituals to do while they're alone on their vision quest. And then they come back, and I say to them, now I want you to write your, the same letter of intent and take the same focus on how you're going to go back into your daily life. And mm-hmm. if, you can, if you can bring that kind of focus, you know, to your daily life, you know, that kind of courage to face what you don't want to face, then you could have a vision quest back there, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but, but, you know, but, uh, but that's the hard one, and... Like you mentioned, the the guy who keeps going to the mountain, he just he doesn't bring it to his daughter or to to whoever, and so. Well, um, and and worse, he's an elder now. No. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm an elder now. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> well, I but, I think I think he is probably, but not. You know, uh, that's one of the. Um, you know, I, I have to wrestle with that question because I'm involved in a, a, a several different groups. I'm involved in a Vision Quest community. I'm involved in certain men's communities. And um, the way, what I say is the word elder is always referenced to a certain community. So, so, so he's maybe an elder in that community, those guys who go up on the mountain and do that. Just like I can say, Billy Graham is an elder in a certain community. It's not mm-hmm. my community, so he's not right. an elder to me. So, so I think he is an elder, maybe to whatever that community is. But it sounds like when he gets back into his family and his life, he's not an elder there. Exactly. So, exactly. So, so I think, I mean, and and but that would just bring up the question: Well, well, dude, who are your people? Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. is it not your daughter? I mean, yeah. is he not one of your people? And so he probably is an elder in that group or to that group. Sure. And he may be a really good elder to that group, but mm-hmm. but I would think if he wants to be an elder to his daughter or his family or some that's 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 a different job description and requires yeah. something different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So I, I also wonder sometimes, these are probably my more frustrated moments, but I wonder, you know, what is it going to take to make being an elder, I'm um, being an adult, sexy? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because the problem is, you know, there's this huge tool called advertising that makes continuing to live this life of, of an adult child really mm-hmm. sexy. Right. Yeah. You know, so how do we make actually truly being an adult, adult? How do we make it sexy so people want to go there? <laughs> mm. uh, well, again, I just, <laughs> um, I think I've, I've given, I've, I've given up certain parts of it. I realize that I, I, it's probably a waste of my energy to go talk to Hollywood producers. <laughs> 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 but, uh, 
but I I realize it's it's kind of a I, I try and think long term, and I know there's I've been I've been involved in a good number of and created a good number of communities. Like I, I think I mentioned the the Mythic Warrior, which is a kind of men's program I created that's gone on now for like 21 years, and so there's a whole community that's developed around that, and I've led Vision Quest now for like 28 years, and it's a community around that. And I think within those communities, something else is respected. Mm-hmm. You know, within those communities, you know, as I, um, a friend of mine, Betsy, once said, as she was getting in her late 50s, and, uh, you know, she was talking about all the lines in her face, and she said, why should I get rid of these? I've earned every one of them, you know, yeah. like, to be proud of them, you know, mm-hmm. proud mm-hmm. of her struggles and pr- proud of what she's overcome and wrestled with and sort of. So I think within certain communities that that kind of uh, elderhood or that wisdom is respected. But but if you want to run out and expect to see it respected on the front page of the USA Today or Vogue, um, It'll be a long way. Right, right. (laughs) But then, as I always say, why buy a ticket on the Titanic? (laughs) uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And, Christina, I I don't know if you have this experience, but I I have it, so I want to share it mostly for people listening because I think it's possible. You know, um, when I first started, you know, I, I went on my first vision quest, and maybe five years after that, I started, started leading vision quests. And again, it was—I uh, was either fortunate or um, <laughs> stupidly wise. I mean, unconsciously wise. But it was like—it was always like, "What's the next step?" And so I started following my passion, following my gifts. And you know, when I was 35, that meant something. When I was 45, it was like. Oh, I'd been leading this for 10 years, and many people had heard of me, and I started leading some other things. And and now, you know, 30 years into it, I can say that um, if I think, like, this year I'll lead, you know, uh, I'll lead seven vision quests. That's like, you know, 80 days of the year I'll be leading vision quests. I'll be leading, um, you know, the Mythic Warrior, and I'll be men's program that's 27 days and i'll be leading these uh, um this four shields medicine wheel teaching workshop in the summer and, and i said wait a minute i just realized 180 days of my year are within communities that are kind of like joyful supportive that are focused on on you know uh finding the best in themselves and i'm i realized you know a huge portion of my life is within those communities that aren't the kind, of, the kind of community you, you know, you see on the magazine stands or on, you mm-hmm. know, Channel Five. I'm, I'm, a huge portion of my life is within those kind of communities that are rich and sustainable, you know, and that are like, you know, uh, you know, that feed the heart and soul. So it's like, so I know it's possible. Yeah, you know, and, absolutely. And in some ways, easier if we just go build it. Don't try yeah. to change what is as much as we just go build what could be. Yeah. I mean, and then yeah. people want to come play on your island, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Joseph Campbell probably said a thousand times, he said, follow your bliss. Just, mm-hmm. you know, take that next step into what brings you alive. And he said, all of a sudden you'll take that next step and the next, and soon you'll find doors opening where you didn't even know there was a door. And right. so. So it's so yeah. A lot of it is, in some sense, having faith in the unknown, or having having faith in that pull within you that says this brings me alive, this feeds my soul. I'm going for it, as opposed to I know I can make twenty dollars an hour down <laughs> yeah. down at this yeah. store. You know. So. Beautiful. Well, Sparrow, we've done it again. Yet another hour. Thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. So for those of you that have questions about this conversation, you can connect with Sparrow at sparrow at together.net and find more information about all of the wonderful teachings at questforvision.com. And then, of course, if you want to Google around to find his book, it's Letters to the River. So Sparrow, thank you so much for your time today. 
Oh, it, it was a pleasure, Christina. I mean, you're so much fun to talk to, and I will, you know, I can't, I can't. Hopefully, I'll bump into you in person at at, at Row when you're there sometimes because I just so enjoy your company. Thank you very much. So thank you, everyone. We give thanks to our ancestors for giving us the context to have a conversation like this here today for the earth below, the sky above, and all the wisdom teachings that come out of that great union. And we give thanks for the heart in all of us that unites it all. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and have a great week.